You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Psalm chapter 6. Let's read together. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we know that we are often weighed down by sorrow and grief, and yet we also uh, struggle to have eyes to see and ears to hear your word. And so now I pray that you would uh, illuminate your scriptures, the words that you inspired. I pray that you would help us to see. You'd, You'd open our minds, you'd open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to not only receive your word, but then uh, find the power by your spirit to actually uh, apply these things, to actually live according to your word. So help us, Heavenly Father, uh, send your spirit now to bless uh, the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ben Franklin said that there are two things that are certain in life, and that is death and taxes. Uh, We probably could add any number of things to that, uh, knowing that there are plenty of other certainties in life, one of them being sorrow and uh, grief or sadness, hurt and pain, because there is pain and suffering in this world. And certainly, uh, unless your life has been very short so far, you have certainly experienced personal pain and suffering, Um, You've also seen family and friends who've suffered. Could be any number of things. Uh, Emotional hurt and pain from betrayal or uh, illness, Um, even even death. And you can certainly, if if that circle's not wide enough, uh, you could open it up to your neighbors, someone on your street or uh, in your town, or, or all you have to do is pick up a newspaper and you will see plenty of pain and suffering in the world uh, enough to Uh, if you take a moment to think about it, make you cry. Uh, And this morning, what I would like to do is, as we look at Psalm 6, Psalm 6 is a lament. And so the first thing I'd actually like to do is look at what a lament psalm is and how it helps us, actually. 
And then uh, we'll jump into actually Psalm 6 itself and look first at David's problem and David's agony. And then we'll look at David's plea. And then the last thing I want to do and to just wrap up the sermon is look at how Jesus takes this psalm on his lips and what, what Jesus does with this psalm in John chapter 12. So we're, we'll look at lament generally, look at uh, David's problem and agony, we'll look at David's plea, and then we'll look at how Jesus takes David's words and makes use of them in John's gospel. So this morning, actually looking at lament, I'm going to do something uh, maybe unusual, put the cart in front of the horse, so to speak, by starting with application. Um, Laments, the Psalms are an amazing group of poems, songs that God has given to us, and and this fundamentally are actually for our application. A lot of the Bible is explaining to us who God is, what God has done, and then the Psalms are our means of responding to God. How do we respond to God in all sorts of life circumstances and laments are particularly uh, for those hard times in life. And almost every lament follows a very general structure. There's some initial address to God or plea to God is the first part. And then you get sort of a description of the situation or a complaint, why things are going wrong and why there is hardship and sorrow. And then the last part of almost every single psalm is some sort of resolution, a return to praise to God or a renewed hope in God. And so s- laments are very like, much like that. And you can see that if you read through uh, this psalm, Psalm 6. There's an initial, initial address to God and very quickly moves into a plea for what the psalmist wants God to do. And then it concludes uh, with uh, verses 8 through uh, 10 are sort of the movement towards resolution and hope in God because God hears the prayer of David. But here are the things that laments do for us, at least a few things. One of the things that laments do for us is they help us to know that we're not alone in two ways. One is that we hear other saints who've gone before us who have suffered the same things that we've experienced because sometimes your suffering can be so intense, your grief can be so hard to bear that often it does seem that people around you don't really understand. And if that is the case, then the laments in the book of Psalms are for you because when you read the laments, you can see that people have gone through very intense and hard and all sorts of suffering, and so you're not alone. And these psalmists have been inspired by God. God knows what you need. And so God is there also. You are not alone. The other thing is, is that these laments help us to know the words to pray when we don't know how to pray, when the suffering is almost too hard. There are plenty of moments in life where you certainly know that you're supposed to pray, but you don't know what to pray. And the laments are here. These are words that God has given to you. Here, pray this. Try this. This is what you need because you're at a loss. The other thing that the laments help us to do is they help us to move through the agony, through the suffering, through the confusion and the disorientation that you experience when life gets too hard. And they move us through the hardship, refocus us on the Lord, 
and they move us back into praise and hope. Even if you have to read the laments multiple times, maybe good thing there's multiple laments. Uh, It doesn't always end instantly. And the laments are there. You can turn to them and pray through them again and again until you get to that place where you're able to move back into praise and hope in God. And that is then the final thing that the laments help us to do is they help us to connect with God. Not only do they show us how to pray, not only do they show us that we're not alone, but actually, and very specifically, the laments help us to connect in particular with Jesus. Because actually, Jesus prayed the Psalms. These are Jesus's prayers. And they help us to actually know what Jesus felt. If you read through the Gospels, you actually, sometimes, they just tell us the things that happen. And we, we occasionally get glimpses into how Jesus felt. For example, we looked a few weeks ago at the raising of Lazarus. Jesus weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. But there are plenty of places where you actually don't know what Jesus feels, except on occasion when Jesus quotes the Psalms. And we get to see, we get a glimpse of what Jesus felt. And in that sense, we can relate to Jesus. We can connect with Jesus if we know the Psalms well. And then finally, we connect with Jesus because we can also know that Jesus knows our suffering. He knows what it is felt like to go through unbearable grief, unending, it seems, sorrow, physical pain. Jesus knows. And so there are all these ways that the laments help us. And they're super practical for this life because you will suffer if you haven't already. And perhaps you felt like you're suffering still, and the Psalms, the laments are there for you. And so now let's actually look at one of these laments. Let's look at Psalm 6, and let's look at David's problem. Let's look at David's agony. The agony that David feels, he he expresses in rather intense ways. In verse 2, he says, I am languishing. My bones are troubled. The, this, this language of languishing is, is the, he's fainting. He, he's losing strength. Or he's, this, this word for languishing could be used for shriveling up, like, like a piece of fruit on a dying vine, vegetable on a plant. It's slowly disappearing. And David seems to be referring to spiritually and physically because he moves on to say his bones are troubled that's deep internal part of his physical body the core his physical core is hurting it's one thing i don't know if you've ever had an itch you know on the outside of you know your arm or someplace it's nice to be able to scratch it but sometimes you have those itches that feel like they're inside your body or maybe you've had pain you know deep inside chest pain stomach pain or some other serious pain, and you can't get to it. You can't put a Band-Aid on it. You can't massage the pain away. It's deep, and you can't touch it. David's bones are troubled. And then in verse 3, he says that his soul, his bones are troubled, but his soul, in verse 3, is greatly troubled. Not just physically inside, but now deep inside to that emotional, physical Uh, emotional, spiritual, psychological place. And one commentator said that, in fact, it might be translated, he's terrified out of his senses. He's so scared. 
His body is failing and he can't spiritually, psychologically cope with the pain and the grief. It's like having a nightmare. If you've ever had a nightmare where not only are you scared out of your wits, but your body fails you. You can't run from the bad guys. You can't get away. And maybe even in real life, you've experienced that where your body gives up on you even though you're so terrified and you want nothing more to get out of whatever situation you are in. Whether that's illness or real danger or maybe depression where you can't keep going because of the hopelessness and your body is giving up on you in the emotional weight of the discouragement and anxiety and fear. And so David blurts out, how long, O Lord? I can't take it any longer. We don't know how long David suffered. And sometimes physical, psychological, spiritual pain doesn't have to last very long before you want it to end. It could be five minutes and you're ready for it to be over because it's so excruciating. And David just can't help but ask the Lord, please, how long does this have to go on? And here's the cause. It seems that David part of the issue for him is that he has sinned. The agony is over his sin. And we'll come back to this in a moment. But he's losing connection with God. His sin has put distance between him and God and he cannot handle it. But there's another cause for David's suffering and agony and that is his enemies. We're told that if you read through the psalm that it seems like people are closing in on him. In verse 6, he says that he's weary with moaning, he's worn out with the horror, and every night there's just this constant want of sleep. He can't do anything but cry. He's flooding his bed with tears, drenching his couch with weeping. It's unrelenting. You know, sometimes when you suffer, at least you can sleep. You can escape through sleep. But David can't even get away from whatever agony he's experiencing in sleep. He just gets to bed at the end of a day and he cries. He's haunted into the night and the cause we're told in verse 7 is that he is growing weak because of all of his foes. Everyone who wants a piece of David is coming after him. People who've either been jealous of his success, we don't know exactly, political enemies. Um, David was uh, was uh, in the army, he would have fought people, who knows, maybe folks who uh, he made enemies on the battlefield, or we know King Saul chased David for a good chunk of his life, a political and spiritual threat to David, and David was often on the run. But now David is weak because of his sin, and the enemies are closing in. He's lost connection with God, and now he's vulnerable. And the root cause, the deep root cause, we're come to the issue of David's sin is that in verse 1, he's afraid, he's concerned of God's wrath and God's anger. It's common in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that illness and suffering are not unrelated. They're related to our sin, especially it's accented in the Old Testament. And here David is keenly aware that his sin has made him vulnerable. Does God hear his prayers? We, we can relate to that. If you've sinned, been caught in sin, um, you wonder, will God listen to you this time when you call for help? Have I sinned too much? There are plenty of psalms that, like, for example, two weeks ago, we saw Psalm 1, that if you're 
loving God's word, delighting in God's ways, you have confidence that you're leading this blessed life, the good life. But here sin creates this distance and disconnect. God is David's source of confidence and hope, and he's lost that. And David is approaching the end of everything. Verse 5, he's going to die. He's afraid of dying. And he says to God, in death, is there any remembrance of you? It's not that David's facing some sort of small, slight discomfort in life. Things are just kind of just not quite the way he wanted. He didn't get that parking spot that he wanted. He didn't, give his, he didn't get his favorite birthday gift. No, he's, he's, he's at the end of his rope. He's mourned. He's cried his eyes out, and he looks like he's going to die. His enemies are right there, and he's desperate. Everything is slipping away. So now let's look at David's plea, his only hope, and that is the Lord, the Lord's generosity. He needs God. Now, one thing that's very striking about the psalm and almost any lament is that David doesn't go and plead with his enemies. He doesn't go and negotiate with his enemies. He goes straight to the Lord. Verse 1, he asked the Lord to not rebuke him. And this language actually of rebuke is very similar to someone taking you to court. David's asking God, don't press charges, please. Because if you press charges, I'm toast. I would be guilty. Rather, he asks the Lord, so don't press charges, don't rebuke me, but be gracious to me, O Lord. Or uh, be generous to me, show generosity toward me, and heal me. Address not only my sinful issues by being gracious, but as you're gracious to me, heal me. Because physically, I am, I am falling apart. And we see this desperate cry from David. If you think about any human relationship that you have, very rarely will we go to any other human being and seek mercy. In almost every single human relationship, we really tend to put on a, a nice face or a strong front. We want people to think we're, we're strong, we're capable, we're not in any need. And so when we go to somebody for mercy, often it is a last-ditch effort. We don't like to humble ourselves before other people. We don't like to be completely vulnerable before other people. You know, it's like the child desperately going to their parent. Or you can imagine, if you've watched the news recently, a man pressed to the ground, his life about to be snuffed out, and he's crying out for his mama in front of other grown adults. It's, it's, it's such a desperate situation, a desperate desire for mercy. And here's the thing, David's enemies aren't going to listen to merciful cries. They're closing in on him. And David does not appeal to God based on anything that David has to offer. His appeal is not, okay, but don't you remember all the good stuff I've done, God? I've done some really good things for you. He does not plead with God based on what he's done or his right cause in this psalm, but he appeals, he appeals to God's character. Verse 4, turn, O Lord, deliver my life, save me, save me for, and here's the reason, for the sake of your steadfast love, for the sake of your 
steadfast love and be gracious to me. This language of be gracious to me in verse 2 and verse 4 of steadfast love is David actually is hearkening back. He's recalling a famous incident in Israel's history in Exodus 34. He knows about God's character and he's going to refer to God's character. Let me read to you Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. David is going to appeal to God's character. And in Exodus 34, just in quick review, brief summary, Israel has blatantly turned from God. They've gone after another idol, even though God has just rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. They're turning from God. And God has the opportunity to just be done with them, get rid of them, throw them on the trash heap, but he's going to give them a second chance because he is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and abounding, abounding. He is full of steadfast love. And actually for Israel, it's not like their second chance. It's more like their third or fourth chance. He shows mercy and compassion. And this is exactly what David needs. And he knows that that's the, he worships the same God. And so he's going to beg with God. Remember God. Remember back then, you are merciful and compassionate. You're gracious. You're slow to anger and you're steadfast. Love is abounding. Uh, a teacher that I had once said that God wants us to plead his character with him in prayer. And that is what David is doing. When you pray, one of the things that can strengthen you in prayer is the fact that you remember the God that you're praying to. If you forget who you're praying to, you know, if you think that God is small and limited and perhaps not even very gracious, your prayers are going to reflect that. But one of the other things is, is that God delights for us not only to know who he actually is, but when we pray, he wants us to remind him of who he is. Not only because it strengthens us, but it, it calls and connects us to God as we recall who he rightly is and he responds when we wrestle with him, wrestle and remind him of his character in prayer. And that is what David is doing here. There's one other appeal, though, that David makes in this psalm, not just to God's character, but he also appeals to the purpose of human existence, why God made humans. In verse 5, he says, In Sheol, who will give you praise? In Sheol, who will give you praise? In the grave, who's going to praise you? You made us Oh God, to praise you, to glorify you in our lives. And so David is saying, God, you made me to praise you. Forgive me that I might once again sing your praises. Our, our entire lives are to be lives of praise, though often we forget that. And here David is asking for healing, for rescue, for deliverance, to be plucked out of the situation, this hardship, this agony, so that he can do what he was made to do. And that is to praise 
God. So, we look at the psalm. What is your impulse when life gets hard, when the sorrow becomes unbearable, when the, the suffering weighs you down and seeks to tear you apart? What is your impulse when everything is ending? When you're at the end of your rope, do you cry out to God? How long, O Lord? Be gracious to me, O Lord. Be compassionate to me. You are full of steadfast love. Don't rebuke me in your anger. What is our gut response to suffering, especially when we're suffering for our own sins? Some of us, when we suffer for our sin, we turn from God. Or we think that our sins are insurmountable. We cannot, God will never forgive me. We, we must turn to God because actually God, as David shows us, is gracious and compassionate. And what restores David's confidence in this psalm? It's that God sees his anguish and God hears his prayer. God is not a God that is blind or deaf to the suffering of his people. And that is what restores David's confidence. And he's confident that his enemies aren't going to close in. It's not the end for David. Now, Jesus actually takes this psalm. We see this psalm, it seems, on Jesus' lips in John chapter 12, and we'll get there in a moment. Jesus actually frequently quotes the psalms. And this is one of those things if you've ever wondered what, what it must have been like to be Jesus, what, what were the emotions that Jesus felt being a human? Well, if you have those questions, read the Psalms. The Psalms will tell you exactly what Jesus felt. Being human, we can know what Jesus felt in some ways, though imperfectly. Uh, but the Psalms give us this incredible glimpse into Jesus, especially when he quotes the Psalms. And if you've ever wanted to pray the prayers of Jesus, you've got the Psalms. If you've ever wanted to sing the songs that Jesus sang, sing the Psalms. Now, it's sometimes it's not always clear uh, what Jesus, when Jesus quotes a Psalm, what he's doing with it. And sometimes it takes a little bit of wrestling with it. Because, for example, the psalmists often confess their sins. Well, Jesus had no sin to confess. So sometimes he takes Psalms on his lips and it's not always clear. Why, well, why is he doing that? David was confessing sin. Why would Jesus say, sing Psalm 6? Uh, and hopefully this will be clear by the end. But there are some places where it's not always one-to-one, Jesus and the Psalms, but it's very, very close. So, Psalm 6. Jesus makes what appears to be at least a vague reference to Psalm 6 along with Psalm 42. And John, Jesus often makes these vague allusions to the Old Testament, sometimes in hints or images. Uh, and sometimes it is hard to nail down, but let's see what we can do here. Let me read to you Psalm 6-3, which is the psalm that Jesus uh, references, as well as verse 4. We'll, and we'll read Psalm verse, uh, 6, verse 4 in a second. And then I'll read Psalm 42, verses 5 and 11, which are the same verse they repeat. And then I'll read John 12. So Psalm 6-3, Jesus, or the psalmist says, My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? And then Psalm 42, verse 5 and 11, which are essentially the same. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil? Or the same word as Psalm 6, troubled. Why are you troubled within me? 
Hope in God, for I will praise him. Okay, now flip to John chapter 12, 12, 27, uh, and I'll read through verse 33. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it. And now I'm going to jump to verse 30 here. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So how, how does Jesus use this psalm? He pulls it into this moment. There's a few things that Jesus does. First, he's identifying with David. He's identifying with David as the suffering king. David suffers as he goes. He's, he's anointed king, and then his, his road to kingship is pretty much marked by tons of difficulty. And even once he is king, there's plenty of difficulty as well. And Jesus identifies with David, particularly the fact that here in John 12, Jesus is surrounded by enemies. Just at the highest point of the, of the gospel, when he's raised Lazarus, it just seems that Jesus' enemies are coming out of the woodwork and ready to kill him. Jesus' hour has come, we're told. Jesus knows it. Now, the crowd, actually, if you read the passage, recognizes that Jesus is making connections with David here because they ask him, isn't the Messiah, the Christ, the, the David figure of the Bible, isn't he supposed to remain forever? So Jesus, in speaking about his suffering, is recalling David, and the crowd seems to pick up on this. Here's the other way that Jesus is connecting with this psalm. He's expressing in this moment his intense feelings of the burden of the hardship that is about him. He, 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 I don't know if you've ever suffered so much that you, you sort of almost d- disconnect from what's going on around you and you say things that seem unrelated and maybe are even a little bit uh, embarrassing, but the burden and the, of the grief is so hard. And Jesus just says, he's actually been approached by his disciples, say, hey, some, some folks want to meet you. And Jesus says, he doesn't even seem to hear them. He says, now is my... Now is my soul troubled. He quotes the psalm just almost impulsively. He's so weighed down, he just blurts out that he's feeling troubled. He's feeling burdened. And he calls out to his father. Now here's the thing that's amazing about Psalm 6 and John 12. In Psalm 6 and in John 12, God hears. He hears. God speaks to Jesus and he speaks to the whole crowd, the whole assembly. He says, I have glorified it. That is, I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again. Just as David was heard in Psalm 6, Jesus was heard here in John 12. And that is the string of hope in this section, in this moment when Jesus is feeling so troubled. It's the relief that the Father hears him. But then there's something very strange. There's something very strange that Jesus doesn't do that's the psalmist that David does in Psalm 6. In Psalm 6, 4, verse 4, David says, Save me, 
But Jesus shifts it a little bit. He says, Jesus says in John 12, he says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Exact same, save me from this hour. Same language as Psalm 6-4. But Jesus doesn't say save me. He says rather for this reason I have come. He's come for this hour. He's come for this, this moment of suffering. Whereas David cries out, how long is it gonna go on? Jesus knows his time has come. He knows he's got trouble and he calls out to the Father and he doesn't call out for him to save him. Rather, Jesus says, glorify your name. Glorify your name. Jesus wants the Father to receive glory. Why does Jesus make this shift, this change? He is human. He's like David. He's troubled. He expresses his suffering. Yet, here's the thing. Jesus is also the rescuing God that David has cried out to in Psalm 6. When David cried out for help, God heard him. And Jesus, Jesus, like the psalmist, calls out to the Father, but he and the Father are one, and he's going to rescue every other person who's going to take Psalm 6 on their lips by not being rescued, by not being rescued. He came for this hour. He's on, a, he's on the rescue mission himself because he is the God that David called out for. And he says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, 1232. And here's the thing. Like the psalmist, the psalmist needs God to rescue him in order that he might praise God. Jesus is not going to ask God to rescue him because he is in the rescue mission business, but he is going to desire that the Father be glorified. And everybody who sings Psalm 6 after Jesus, crying out to Jesus, will be able to bring glory to the Father, will be able to praise the Father, not just in this life, but in the life to come. And so Jesus has a bigger picture than immediately being rescued. So he doesn't ask for God to save him. He asks God to glorify his name. And Jesus shows us that whether in life and in death, we can bring honor and glory to God. And because Christ didn't ask to be rescued, we have the hope of praising God and being with God and not being disconnected from God the way David experienced. And so this lament, Psalm 6 with John 12, is powerful in giving us hope and strength through whatever suffering we might go through because Christ has gone ahead of us and he's transformed this psalm for our hope and for the glory of God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your son and we thank you that you were with the Lord Jesus. You gave him strength. You heard his cries. You heard David's cries. And oh Lord, for those who are suffering today uh, in this church, those that we love who are suffering, we pray, oh Lord, that you would be their comfort and that they would know particularly, specifically, the comfort that Jesus gives, the comfort that Jesus provides, that only Jesus can provide, and the hope, the, the hope alone that Jesus provides in our agony, in our, in our unbelievable suffering sometimes. Heavenly Father, I pray 
that you would draw near to us and that we'd confess our sins and we'd be free to know your nearness in Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, thank you, Justin. I was just very encouraged by, oh, by Psalm 6. And um, I don't think there's any questions that have come in yet. So if you have a question, get it in now. We're about a minute ahead of you, so um, we won't linger for too long on this. But if you do have a question or something that we could help you with, uh, we would uh, be honored to do that, happy to do it. And uh, if a question comes to your mind later, you can always send that in as well, and we'll respond. So, um, yeah, we, we want to be helpful to you in whatever way that we can. Um, so it seems to me, this is just one question, do you have any, um, uh, any clarity on what David's situation is here? It seems like you were kind of thinking it could be a number of things, but was there yeah. any, any, uh, any possible... Yeah, it's kind of likely candidates. It's kind of vague. Um, I don't think that there's a particular situation in his life that we can point to and say it was this event with King Saul or, um, you know, when he's being hunted down by his son. You know, th- I don't think that there's anything that's really clear. It's it's even pretty vague from the psalm. What's the sin? What's who are the enemies? You know, he doesn't get very specific. So. Um, I, I don't know that we can really nail it down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not totally clear, is it? Yeah. So. Okay. We have a couple that have come in. Uh, thanks for sending these in. One is, is my suffering always because of my sin? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the short answer to that is no. Um, David here very clearly uh, has the sense that his suffering is is related to his sin, um, but we know from Scripture that uh, suffering c- can come from a number of different places. You know, yeah, sin is one, and, and very frequently, and sometimes we can very directly point to, wow, if I, uh, if I hadn't done that, then these repercussions wouldn't be hitting me right now. Um, but we also know that sometimes you can suffer for doing the right thing. Uh, you, you can easily think of numerous examples uh, in scripture or in real life where people will give a hard time to someone who's trying to do the right thing. Um, so uh, another reality is uh, in Ecclesiastes, there's, there's just, there's evil in the world. And sometimes you can just get, you can be minding your own business uh, and randomly, seemingly randomly, suffering just finds you. Uh, there's all sorts of just terrible things that happen in this world uh, where sin and evil are, are a reality. So, so all suffering does not arise from our sin. Though uh, certainly it, if there is suffering, it's often a good occasion to reflect, have I done something, you know? Uh, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily have. Yeah, so it's not like a, a clean idea of karma. Where yeah. Bad things happen because someone did something wrong. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, and I would I would say that all suffering is because there is we do live in a fallen world because of sin. Yeah. So in, in that sense, suffering is all. Yeah. At least at least indirectly tied yeah. to sin. Yeah. You know. Exactly. If a hurricane comes through and wipes out. Yeah. You know, a family or something. Even natural evil is the result of being under a cursed world. So mm-hmm. indirectly. Yeah. You can uh, you can tie a line to yeah. the fact that all bad things are because yeah. of. We've fallen away from God. Yeah. But any particular suffering, maybe no. Yeah. Depending. Depending. Depending, yeah. Yeah. I, that's good. Really good. Yep. So not necessarily. Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. 
some suffering becomes because Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. Yeah. And, if, and Jesus had trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus had the most suffering of anyone. Yeah. In many ways, and it wasn't because of his sin. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, good um, a, a second question here is how does God forgive iniquity and transgression and sin, but also by no means clean, clear the guilty? Yeah. That's uh, Exodus 34, yeah. where you seem to have almost this contradictory thing. He he forgives iniquity and yet by no means will cu- um, clear, clear the, the guilty, guilty. Yeah. which is almost exactly opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, how does that possible? He's, he's going to let... He's going to let things go, but he will by no means let things go. Yeah, yeah. So what is that? Unt- untangle that. <coughs> That's a great question. Quickly, quickly please. Quickly. Um, so actually, it's kind of, it's an interesting question also as it relates to the Psalms. Like, how can the psalmist in one moment say, Lord, forgive me, and then get that guy, you know, who's coming after me? Or take down the wicked, O Lord, even though the psalmist has just asked for forgiveness. You're like, what is this person? Is this like a hip? Are these psalmists hypocrites? And I think that one of the key distinctions is God uh, is gracious as people come to him in repentance and are like, I need you to forgive me, you know. Um, But there are people that are unrelenting in their continued uh, sin. And so um, God isn't just kind of like, he isn't like, well, I'm so patient that I, I just pretend like sin doesn't exist. You know, so there is this tension in the Bible, actually throughout the whole Old Testament, really until Jesus, is how does God clear anybody? How is he gracious to anybody? Uh, Because ultimately, it becomes a question of how can God be just if he's going to forgive these people? Uh, You know, it's actually more the question of how does he forgive people is kind of the harder question uh, until you have the cross. um, Because otherwise, you're like, well, he upholds his justice by taking care of the bad guys. Um, but it seems to me one of the key distinctions is how do you approach God? Do you approach God humbly seeking forgiveness as David does in Psalm 6? Or are you going to kind of be one of these people that's kind of looking for an advantage to take, take someone down who's, you know, vulnerable and weak in, uh, in a desperate situation? So I think that that's at least part of the answer is that God is just, uh, but he is gracious to those who humble themselves and come in repentance and faith. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. It's a t- it's yeah, um, I think that it's making clear that no sin goes unpunished. God doesn't just sweep things under the rug. He doesn't just forget about them. Any, any injustice that's done, that sin must be paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but God also extends mercy to those who cry out for mercy. But then the punishment of that sin has to go somewhere. God is so just and so holy that no violation against him just gets forgotten it must be the the crime must be punished Mm -hmm. and that's the glory of jesus is that Mm -hmm. all of our crimes are placed on jesus that's what the blood of the lambs and the goats was was to symbolize that your sin has to go somewhere we Mm -hmm. sometimes wonder like why doesn't god just forgive and forget Mm -hmm. you know and in a sense we're kind of called to as humans to do that but god is a totally different kind of being and his forgiveness um comes at the price of of um of 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 his just character mm-hmm. and so and that's why the cross is such a beautiful thing is that mm-hmm. god can extend mercy and execute justice and so no sin goes unpunished but god will god will extend mercy and redirect yeah. that punishment to yeah. someone else to yeah. something else and in fact he himself takes it upon himself yeah. so uh, god is so holy and so just and so omnipotent and so omniscient uh, that no sin can be undealt with mm-hmm. 
but yeah. for those that cry for mercy, yeah, that wrath can be diverted. So, um, and that's the glory of the gospel. I think the big thing that the the Bible asks. Sometimes we come to the Bible going, "Why do bad things happen to good people?" That's mm-hmm. the question we tend to bring yeah. to the Bible. The question the Bible answers is, "How can a holy God bring sinners into His presence?" Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. more like, "How can?" How can God still do any good to those who have turned away from Mm -hmm, him? mm -hmm. So we actually come to the Bible often with the exact opposite question. The Bible does address that question, but the big question of the Bible is how in the world is God going to figure out a way Mm -hmm. to bring sinners back into his presence and still remain holy? Yeah, yeah. And the cross is the ultimate answer of that, is that he in himself will absorb his own wrath, vindicate his own character, and then provide a mechanism for extending mercy to the world. Mm -hmm. And that's... That's amazing. Yeah. That's an amazing thing. So I don't know. I just had that burning in my head there. But um, so you talked about praying God's character. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you what do you mean by that? I know there's an example of that, but yeah, Uh, praying God's character is. Is. Reminding God in prayer simultaneously that we're reminding God We're often it's mostly for our benefit, but reminding God of who he is and who he said he is and what he's promised, what he's done in the past. And, and one of the things is, in, in one sense, actually, it's kind of not unrelated to the fact that we're made to praise God. So it's almost like the application of our purpose of praising God is how you, in a hard situation, you remind God, God, this is who you said you are. And I, I'm trusting that you are like this because that's what I need right now. So it's pleading with God to, to act as he promises to act. Um, and and it, it's both an act of praise, but also a reminder for us uh, because sometimes we, lose, we get disoriented in our suffering, in our grief as to who God is. You know, it's very easy to think, I'm going through all this. Hard. God must not care or God must be deaf or blind to my suffering or, or he's heartless. You know, there's all sorts of things that kind of can come in and, Pleading God's character helps us, um, but it also is an act of faith in one sense, um, praising God in a sort of indirect way, maybe, I don't know. Um, but pleading God's character that he would act according to who he is in this situation and rescue. You're a God who rescues when we cry out to you. Uh, is, that help, is that helpful? Or Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, so part of Part of praying to God is is that he will act, but it's also the act of praying itself reminds us of God's character mm-hmm. too. And and I think that's a, the Psalms like all about, I think it, I think I heard someone say that 40% of the Psalms are lament, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, we, we, uh, so when we don't have language for our pain, for our sin, for our suffering, for mm-hmm. our depression, whatever it is, God is kind in that he's like, well, I'll just go ahead and give you the words to say to yeah. me. And here's the kinds of things you need to pray. Yeah. And we are praying, asking God to act in accordance with his character. But then also in praying that, we're reminded of how yeah. God does act in his character. And I love the reasoning with God. I just put this down of like, he says, God, if I'm dead, then there will be less worship of you in the world. Yeah, yeah. So it just makes sense, God, that you would deliver me from yeah, this. Yeah. Because you want as much glory given to you in the world as possible. Yeah. And so there's sort of this logical reasoning with God of God, if I'm dead, that's going to be less worship. Yeah. And you want more worship. I know that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I want to fulfill my purpose in being human. Yeah. And uh, if you rescue me from the grave, I'll praise you all the more. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I think I actually think we're given permission to pray that way. Yeah. Lord, if you would heal me of this cancer, 
I, you, do you know how many people yeah. would hear of your greatness and yeah. mercy that defying these odds, you, you know? Yeah. So now, you know, the Lord determines how he, how he'll be glorified in our lives. Yeah. But we are, I think, given permission to reason with God according oh, to yeah. his character. God, this would be the kind of thing that would bring you a lot of glory. Yeah. So would you do it? Not just yeah. for my benefit, but for your glory. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I think that's a cool thing. Um, that's about all I have. One other thing I was just going to mention is that Tim Keller's little devotional songs of Jesus. Mm. Uh, I thought of that while you were talking about okay. how the Psalms are the songs of Jesus. Yeah. So if we want to know what Jesus thinks and prays, we have evidence of him in the Psalms. Yeah. But then actually Tim Keller's little devotional just presses that even further that, you know, the Psalms are the voice. Yeah. The voice of Jesus in yeah. many ways. So. Yeah, I think it's a helpful way to read the Psalms because sometimes you're like, what on earth is going on here? I, I can't relate to this person or um, whatever the case may be. But then when you realize, actually, this gives you insight into how Jesus felt and how Jesus prayed, it, it, it makes them a little bit more alive. I don't know, more robust that you're getting an insight into or you're knowing Jesus better. Yeah. One last minute question that came in here. Uh-huh. Why in verse 5, it says, death, in death there is no remembrance of you. Don't the dead still know God? Yeah, yeah. Or know of God? Yeah. That's a great question. That was, I was kind of hoping that question would come up because uh, I totally skipped it uh, intentionally because I am not entirely sure what to make of it. Some people would say that the Old Testament saints pretty much just thought that you died and you just everybody goes to the same place everyone just dies and goes into the grave um it strikes me that there are at least a few options one is it seems though from reading the new testament that abraham had some idea that he's looking for a city not made with human hands he's looking for an eternal city so we can't say that and, and you just think of any Old Testament saint like David has to think, he knows from Genesis 3 that death is the curse. So death can't be the end, you know, if you trust in God. So I think that there's, one of the options is death here just means, um, you know, he ceases to be able to praise God in this life. So he's just referring to death as he's not making any mention of what's, what comes after death. He's, he's not making a reference to that. He's just talking about in this life. The other, the other thing is that I, I've, this is completely hypothetical at this point, but I've wondered, if you look at Revelation, there's this moment where this, the martyred saints are are waiting for history to be concluded and they themselves are actually crying out to God, how long? The same thing we have here in Psalm 6. They're, they want to know when justice will be done and when they'll be restored to their bodies. And I think that part of the issue is in the Bible that, that even if we die and are with Christ, as Paul says, that we're not the way we were meant to be. And I do think that ultimately the goal God has for, for all his people is that they will praise him in their bodies. And I think that it's something of a combination of these things that's going on here in this psalm. And so that's as far as I've gotten. But it is, that's, that's a kind of very clear kind of question that you're like, what is going on in verse five? So the answer is I don't know. The answer is more or less I don't know, but, <laughs> um, 
but I yeah, have no, I think there right. are yeah. leanings. Yeah, uh, there are some some ways to go, but it's not an easy thing to figure out. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good. Great question. Yep. Thank you for turning those in to us. Um, I was going to go ahead and share my testimony today, but uh, I, I think I'll go ahead and save that this week. And I would just encourage you that maybe uh, you could share your testimony with somebody. If you're watching uh, this with somebody, you're at somebody's house, um, take a few minutes and maybe someone, uh, e- even as we close out today, uh, share your story of how you came to know Jesus uh, and how you are uh, hoping to be used by him uh, now and into the future. So thank you, Justin, for Uh, bringing the word to us today. I was greatly encouraged to sit under your teaching today. Our benediction comes from 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 10 and 11. Uh, Let me see if I can pull that up on the slide. Here it is. So here these good words. Benediction means good words. So these are just good words from God, a blessing over you from God. Um, And it's 1 Peter 5, 10 and 11. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, God bless you. Let us know if there's any way that we can be praying for you, if there's some way that you want to take a step and get more connected in the life of our church. Let me know that, and, uh, and we hope to connect with you at some point this week. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.